Good morning, church. God is good. And all the time? Amen. Certainly good to be here this morning. Um, We are going to continue on today unfolding the mission uh, that we've, uh, the Kingdom Concept Committee team has now presented to the leadership, uh, have got their approval on, and are sharing with you. So this morning, I want to just kind of back up to tell you where we've been so we can sort of paint a picture of where we're going. And uh, about, uh, well, nine months ago now, almost 10 months ago now, we started uh, 2019 and said we want to build momentum and to do it three ways. We said we wanted to discover a kingdom concept. We said we wanted to develop a way to make disciples. And the third thing is, is we wanted to deepen our spiritual rhythms, right? Uh, So if you're visiting with us, you're thinking, okay, what does that language mean? This is what it means. Basically, we need to have some strategic thinking. We need to have a be intentional about making disciples because it doesn't happen by accident. And thirdly, we have to make sure that what we're doing as a church flows out of where we want to go as a church. Those are the three big concepts, the three directions, the three ideas we've been looking at. Um, So we've been in the process of looking at developing a way to make disciples. We looked at Discipleship 101, Introduction to the Story of God. We looked at Discipleship 201, which is our part in the story of God. We looked at Discipleship 301, which was a way to deal with our hurts, habits, and hang-ups along the way. And Discipleship 401 was all about sharing the story of God with other people. Discipleship 401 is what we'll cover toward the end of the year in terms of our, of our lessons. Um, what we're doing now is coming back to this idea of discovering our kingdom concept. Um, about six months ago, or nine months ago now, uh, 15 of us got together and with God's uh, will and asked for his help and prayed and went through an intentional process by which we discovered, uh, we believe, is a good story, a good reflection of what's going on here uh, in Amherst and the Amherst Church of Christ and have developed some language to help us move ahead. So we're coming back to that this morning. Last week, we said the reason we believe we'll be successful at this is really three things. Number one, grace produces faith, not the other way around, right? God does the heavy lifting. God will be responsible for success, right? Because uh, it's really up to him. That's what communion was, was all about. I think he did a great job of, of reminding us that success and victory or success and, and failure Let's talk about what God can do. Grace is what God can do. Grace is how we uh, engage the mission of Christ. Number two, we said we have a strong core. We have so much in common. We said our core is this reality that we believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Amen? Amen. We believe the Bible is the Word of God. Amen? Amen? We believe discipleship is the call of God. Amen? We believe salvation is the grace of God. Amen? Amen. And we believe that the church is the people of God. And we believe that heaven is the promise of God. Those are non-negotiable. That is the core upon which our jazz can take place. As you talked about last week, having a good foundation, having a good doctrinal sound foundation is essential for the sort of plasticity and adaption and free form that we need to uh, embrace in order to be on mission. Some things have to change. Those things can never change. Amen? Those are non-negotiable. We have core. That is it. That's what's worth arguing about. Nothing less. Nothing more. 
And so we said the reason we'll be successful, number one, is because it's based on grace, not our faith. Number two, it's because we have a very strong core that pulls us all together. And thirdly, we said we'll have to develop a missional, uh, a missional uh, ethic, sort of a, a missional vision. And uh, I'm going to share with you what we discovered, what I believe God helped us, helped us discover. Um, well, number one, it begins with our kingdom concepts. Um, so what is a kingdom concept? In short, reality. That's what kingdom concept is. It's about reality. Leadership is about reality. Leadership is helping them get back to what's really going on. Leadership has always been about saying, let's get grounded to the way things actually are. Not the way we hope them to be. Not the way that someone else told them, told us they should be, but the way things actually are. The way we go about doing that with the kingdom concept is through the process of uh, research and uh, basically discernment. And so we went about looking to define um, our community uh, our collective potential. Who are we as a church? What is the reality of who we are as a church? We've set out to look at our local predicament. What is and what is the problem here in the city of Amherst? What is it that our city struggles with the most? Where does the kingdom of God stand the most chance to, to see amazing change? And then thirdly, how has God uniquely shaped the leadership here at New Beginning? When we do the research, what bubbles up, I believe, is reality. Number one, we are a church family. Amen? This is the language that shows up time and time again throughout all the research and all the language and all the demographics we did. We are a church family. Now, there's a lot more to that. If you were to look, un unpack the sort of demographics, uh, I think in one of our, our paragraphs we said, New Beginnings is sort of like the Connors from Roseanne, uh, the Ramones from Everyone Love uh, Raymond, and a little bit of the Waltons all mixed together, right? Uh, we are a middle working class community who have a lot of roots in the hard work of a, of a working class. Uh, many of us here have high school and some college. Some of us have college and beyond. All of us have varying experiences in our professional life and our personal life. Overall, we match our community. Kingdom of God, when you come looking at our city itself, um, there are some things that we can, we can sort of unpack for that. Um, Amherst is a part of this um, Rust Belt region of the United States. What that means is the major cultural realities that affects us as a small town have to do with deindustrialization. You know, I know, I've sat with you, you've shared with me your stories. This used to be a place where mom and dad and family and everyone worked in the factories and had a future and a life that was out before them. Such is not the case as much anymore. This is what happened in Lorraine. It's also what's happening in the, in the lives of people of Amherst. Now, it affects Amherst differently, but it's still the, the number one sort of triggering culture event in the last 20, 30 years is the deindustrialization of cities. As a result, people have lost a lot of hope. Why? Because the middle class God has died. The working class God has died. This God that says your meaning and purpose and direction in life comes from finding your place at the factory, following your family's footsteps, paving a new future for yourself uh, by following in the, in the steps of your family. 
that is not a reality a lot of people get to enjoy anymore. There are still there are still people who are able to do that, but it's far far less now. We are really a society that's focused on services and uh, the medical industry, and, uh, and and everything is changing that town. This is a a small town, a town that sees itself as a small town. Now, interestingly, demographically, they're actually just a town. See, that label has a, a reference to amount of people. We're not a small town when it comes to demographics, but they see themselves. We see ourselves as a small town. In fact, uh, you can go online to Main Street and watch a lip dub, and guess what song they're playing in the lip dub? We're a small town. Who, who said that? Mellencamp? Was that? Yeah, John Cougar Mellencamp. I grew up in a small town, and they sing the whole thing as they march down Main Street. This is a city uh, that believes itself to be a small town, but it is suffering from the same thing that's affecting everyone else in the Northeast. There's a sense of hopelessness because the God of the middle class, working class, has sort of largely died, secularly speaking. And now they're having to reinvent themselves. And as a result, there's hopelessness, there's uh, a, a poor coping. People are trying to deal with this hopelessness through drugs and alcohol. Uh, there's a reason Amherst is known as the city of bars and churches. I think the only thing that exceeds the number of churches we have are bars. Why? Because people are longing for the community they used to have at the factory. They don't have that anymore. So they're, they're looking for it. They're seeking it. There's hopelessness. There is a, a, a tendency to, to turn to drugs and alcohol. And because... Uh, and because um, Amherst is also a um, sort of a middle working class community, uh, the people who work here, usually it's mom and dad, and they're both working somewhere else. We've, we've become a, a bedroom community by and large. Uh, 90% of the people who live in Amherst own their homes, and 90% also usually work in some kind of management area, which means the most of the people here don't work here. Mom and dad are working somewhere else. Guess what that has created? A large number of latchkey uh, environments. If you're here when the bell breaks, you see a ton of kids on the field, a ton of kids doing extracurricular activity. You can ask Miss Vicky. There's a ton of kids heading to the library and hanging outside the library and around uh, hanging outside the Methodist church. There is a huge latchkey population in this little bitty town because mom and dad both have to work because they pay, they're paying for their home that they buy. And so we have a church family, we have a small town that's struggling with, with hopelessness, and we have a leadership that wants to do something about it. We have a leadership that says, like our t-shirts do, right? I love my church, right? We have a leadership that says, I love the family of God. We've, we spend time encouraging the family of God, uh, building community, building love to one another. Uh, in this community, but we also see that there is a there's a distance, there's a disparity between the church, the family, and the city in which we live. There's distance there, and they recognize the distance between what we have here and what's in the city, and they want to do something about it. All of these men, all of our shepherds, right, all had a dominant mentor in their life. And in every story about their mentor that they shared, their mentors were passionate about loving their neighbors. Merlin just told a story Wednesday about how his dad would, would clothe and feed his neighbor without his neighbor knowing it. Um, 
Glenn has told a story about how his dad would bring eggs into Cleveland and, and, and feed people, right? The, the DNA of our leadership is outward focused. They love the family of God, but there is this passion for the neighbor, the passion for our city, the passion for Amherst. And they recognize there's a distance. Because when you look at our demographics, we're largely filled not with Amherstonians. We're largely filled with transplant Church of Christ people from the South. Have you recognized that yet? There's a disparity between who we are and where we are. And the leadership wants to do something about it. It's the simplest way to talk about this. The simplest way to, to move from this kingdom concept is, is simply to take those three dynamics and move it in to what I refer to as the mission mandate. On your bulletin, you have all of this information. Everything in red, you can fill in if you like. Um, and it will basically step through everything we're talking about here. Um, our mission mandate is simply this. We're a church family loving a small town. Revolutionary, right? Not really. Totally different from what we are right now? Absolutely. You know what our mission statement is right now? Even though it's never, it's not articulated. Um, I don't want to call him out in front of everyone. Uh, Neil, could you stand up a second? Everyone look at Neil's shirt. That is our unspoken mission statement right now. I love my what? I love my church. That's our unspoken. Thank you, sir. Sorry to call you out. You can kill me later. I love my church. And let me tell you, it is evident you love each other. You love each other as we should. The new mission statement going forward isn't less of that. It's more of it. Because the best way leadership can love a church is by putting them on mission. So how do we do that? Well, we are a church family. Now, guess what we're doing? We're not just loving a church. We're a church family doing what? Loving a small now, our focus isn't just inward, it's outward. It's not just the mission is the membership. Church, you will not find that in the Bible. When Paul talks about the building up of the saints in Ephesians, if you continue reading Ephesians 3 and 4, it's for the purpose of ministry. It's so that the church can make known the manifold wisdom of God. Everything Paul did to develop a church was to put them on mission because he was convinced the church is the mission of God on this earth. A church family loving a small town. A couple things about that. Number one, I also recognize not everyone that comes to Amherst is from Amherst. <laughs> There's a lot of people who come miles away to come to this church. That's awesome. But this model allows us to sort of duplicate our efforts here everywhere we go. For instance, Ziegler, you guys are all out and way out there past Wakeman, right? But do you not have a small town real close? Absolutely. Do you not have a context that you're responsible to bring Jesus into? 
Now, what I'm saying, um, what I'm not saying is we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to focus our efforts out in Wayland. What I am saying is what we do here in Amherst will translate into all these other places. Acts will tell us, and I believe it's Acts 1-8, where it says the gospel goes from Jerusalem to Judea to the ends of the earth. I believe we're in a moment where we have to focus on Jerusalem. We have to focus on Amherst. Because if we don't, we won't be here much longer. That's just the truth of it. Unless you just keep popping out babies. You just won't be here that much longer. There has to be an effort to reach outsiders. Because as far as I can tell, the industry in the Northeast isn't going to kick up so much that we're drawing people from the Church of Christ in the South anymore. Nor should our mission had ever been, ever been, let me do Church of Christ right so we can get all these Church of Christ people to come worship with us. That's called swelling. That's not evangelism. That's not reaching. We have lost people all around us. And we have to do something about it. And that means as a church, we, when people ask you, who are you and what are you about? This is what I tell them. We're a church family loving a small town. So that's our mission mandate. But we also have some motives, some values that, uh, number one, push us, but also pull us into this preferred future that God has in store for new beginnings. So what are those values? These are what we identified in our research as values that already exist and a couple that are aspirational, pulling us in the direction of outreach in our town. First off, right on the top of the list is what? Family. Why? Because this church sees itself as family. It's filled with generational families, and half of you are literally family. This is a church who understands the value of family. It pushes us in ministry because it creates, as I said ago, not just this context of understanding God as father and each other as brothers and sisters of Christ, but it also says the hospitality, the support, the love that we, we offer to one another is also what we're asking to offer our city. Hospitality and love and acceptance. We're a church that's not only just family functional, we're also grace-centered, which means everyone knows that there is no one righteous, no, not one. This church understands grace. This church knows what Kirk was talking about this morning at the table. That our worth, our value, our significance is not outside, it's not inside out, but outside in. It comes from God. And because we're grace-centered, two things happen. Three things, really. One is we have resilience and sustainability. Why was Paul able to, to stay on mission even though he got beat up and dumped in, in the, I mean, just totally tore up? Because he knew the most important thing that has ever happened to him already happened to him. He woke, he woke up every morning and said, thank God I am saved. People who just inherited billions of dollars do not get sidetracked when they get a ticket for parking in the wrong place. We don't lose our hope and joy because of this small minutia stuff. Well, how can you say that? Because you just won the cosmic lottery. God has saved you. That is the most important thing to have ever happened to anyone anywhere. 
the next time you feel like, man, my hope is gone, my, my dream, what are you measuring? If I died right this second, praise God, I won already. Amen? It only gets better from here. The only thing that should ever get in the way of our mission is Jesus showing up. That's it. You've already won. And we get to take that good news to everyone. Come on. That is the best thing on the planet. I think Jesus said it this way when he was talking to Simon the Pharisee. He goes, those who are forgiven much, guess what they do? They love much. That's why we'll be successful, because we have this family function, functional family dynamic pushing us. We have the grace of God sustaining us. And we also have the grace of God that says everyone's invited to the table. Amen. Everyone's invited to the table. Everyone is invited here because we don't expect anyone to be good enough. Everyone's invited to the table. We're a Bible based church. What that means is we go back to scripture to articulate who God is, to understand who God is, and to understand who we are in light of that. The word of God reveals the heart of God, and the heart of God is the basis of our understanding of human flourishing. That's what I tried to illustrate to you for five weeks in this last series. When people ask me, why do you do this or why do you do that? Why is this okay? Why is this okay? I go back to, I trust God has my best intention in mind. And where do I get that? From the word of God. That's why the Bible, that's why Christianity is called a revealed religion. It reveals who God is and reveals who you're supposed to be. It reveals, again, as Kirk said this morning, that our value is entirely up to him. It's all stipulative. Because we're broken. And that's the only type of people that are made nowadays. <laughs> Broken. We're not just a family functional church. We're not just a grace-centered church. We're not just a Bible-based church. We are also an open church. What does that mean? That means we're open-minded. What does that mean? We talked about this today in Bible class. Um, the restoration movement. How many of you ever heard that word before? Right? That's where the Church of Christ came from. If you were told we have a descendancy all the way back to AD 33, go back and look at history again. That's not how it works. We came on the scene during the Second Great Awakening. Guess what other two movements came on the scene at the same time? Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons. We came on the scene at the same time. Why? Because we believe that a denominational headquarters shouldn't be dictating what the church does. Right. We don't have to. We, this church is not beholding to any bigger movement other than the leadership of this church. Did you know that? You know how powerful that is? I have friends who have to go to their denomination to make decisions on getting into their community. I have friends whose denomination has made decisions that are contrary to God's word and they don't know what to do anymore. I have friends who can't do anything because they have to check with the the, the home base, the uh, mothership before they do anything. Being a part of the Church of Christ means that 
we believe the word of God is the basis of our leadership. We believe in the priesthood of all believers that every single one of us have a part to play. We don't have to ask Harding. We don't have to ask Pepperdine. We don't have to ask any of our colleges, any of our heritages. We just have to ask the Holy Spirit and the word of God. How can I be of service? That is amazing. That creates the sort of plasticity and uh, adaption that we need to truly become all things to all people. So that by all means, we might save some. Those are four values that push us. We're family functional. We're grace-centered. We're Bible-based. We're open-minded. That is, we will follow God's will regardless of what other people are saying about us. That's what it means to be part of the Church of Christ, folks. We're going to follow the truth wherever it lies. And the truth, his name, is Jesus. Two aspirational values that pull us. Those four things push us. The two things that pull us is, number one, we are gift-oriented. What that means is exactly what Brian modeled today in the lesson, in the singing. He was mentioning people who were writing songs, 200, 400, 150, 1926. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has been shaping people to use their giftedness from the very beginning of time. Did you know that? Jesus said, I'm leaving. I'm sending someone in my place. And guess who it was? The Holy Spirit who shaped us. Guess what that means? Long before there was ever a church of Christ in Amherst, the Holy Spirit was here doing something, working on something, making things happen, allowing Miss Peggy and others to come and start a church here. Because God has gone before us. The Holy Spirit is before us. Shaping environments. This is why we go back and ask these questions. Collective potential, local predicament, uh, apostolic esprit, the leadership past. That's why we ask those questions. Because the Holy Spirit shapes people and individuals and communities and churches and leaderships. And to ignore that with some sort of prepackaged, sort of prepackaged um, franchise doctrine is not respecting the Holy Spirit's movement. 200 years ago, someone inspired a boat, a boat manufacturer, I think he said, to write a song. Two months ago, the Holy Spirit inspired Michaela to write one, too. See how that works? It's not methods. It's the Holy Spirit of God shaping us, forming us, allowing us to be who we are in the world, who he wants us to be. So gift-oriented means we're allowing the Holy Spirit to, to shape us. And the last one, community inclusion. This means we're not just going to have an ear inward, what do our people want? Or an ear upward, what does God want? We're also going to have an ear to the city and say, what is it that they need? If you don't have all three, you don't have a mission. You have an aquarium that you're keeping. It's such a powerful thing. It's such a powerful thing when we start asking, where does the kingdom of God need to show up in Amherst? It's a powerful question. 
It's a missional question. That's what gets us out of the building into the lives of people. These are, the, these are the values that not only push us, they pull us. Why? We're a church family loving a small town. We are family functional. We are grace-centered. We are Bible-based. We are open-minded. We uh, are gift-oriented, and we are community-inclusive. So all I've said right now is just theory, right? It's just a way of thinking. It's very important because the only way you move from a, a kingdom concept to an actual vision is through language, but you also have to put these things on it called feet, <laughs> Right. So what does that actually mean for us real time? I hope you're writing these down. These are very, very important. These next five B's. Uh, I'm going to try to get this into our language because this is this is the how we're going to do it. Number one. We're going to get new batteries. Yeah, it's not working anymore. Uh, you're going to have to really zone in and, and clue into me. Uh, we're going to have to one build relationships. How do we build relationships? By practicing a plus one. Have you guys ever had a plus one before? Uh, you get invited to the movies or to an event or a uh, work party. You get the invitation that says a plus one, right? The plus one is your permission to ask another person on the journey with you, right? Building relationships. I, the leadership, all of us are asking each other to build a plus one. Every single one of us are being asked, find your plus one. Find someone to walk intentionally with Jesus with. Who's your plus one? Who's your plus one? For me right now, I'm a, <laughs> you can hit me later, Josh has been my plus one. Neil has been Josh's plus one. That's how it works. We choose one other person. Yeah, they just got a high five, right? Um, you choose one other person. You say, hey, let's walk intentionally in this thing called discipleship. Choose somebody. Guess what? If everyone chose somebody and walked intentionally, the change, the, the amazing change that could take place in the kingdom of God. Oh, my goodness, the beautiful restoration stories we would have. Everyone just choose a plus one. You see, I can't choose your plus one for you. And I can't be big enough or smart enough or everywhere it wants to be the guy for your plus one. Thankfully, we don't believe in clergy like that. You have the capacity to do that. To find your plus one. The second thing we're asking people to do, this is the next red bullet, is to create belonging. How? By committing to a small group. We're asking everyone to find the plus one. Number two, we're asking everyone to commit to a small group. Does it, I don't care what day of the week it is. I don't care where you locate it with, with some qualifications. We'll, we'll talk about that. But we have to create belonging. People have to have a sense that, hey, these people are my friends. Because they are my friends. We have to build relationships and be friends with lost people. And you do that by belonging. And you create belonging by bringing your plus one into your small group setting. And you further that belonging. The next thing we're asking you to do is to bring. So number one, we're asking you to build a plus one relationship. Number two, we're asking you to create belonging by, by becoming part of a small group. The third thing we're asking you to do is to bring your plus one with you to weekend worship. I guess I could also say bring yourself 
through weekend worship. But in addition to that, bring your plus one with you. Because not only do I believe the small group dynamic is important and critical for discipleship, I think something amazing takes place in the collective body of Christ. The manifest presence of the Holy Spirit shows up in the body of Christ when it comes together. It's an important part. But note this, church. This 30 minutes, and if I'm annoying, 45 minutes that we have is not enough to be a mission. The notion that we can do church cool enough to get people to come is the 1990s. It doesn't work anymore. Here's the, here's the truth of it. Everyone who's looking for a church has one. That's how we have to operate. That doesn't mean what, we, what goes on here doesn't matter. It does matter. But it used to be 90% of the work and 10% of the work was trying to get people to come to your church. You got to flip that around now in, re in real time. Now, the majority of the work is on your shoulders to go out to build relationships, create belonging, and bring to church. When they come here, what they experience has to be a reflection of our values. It has to be a reflection of our gift orientation. Not just a, uh, uh, not just a franchise of Church of Christ. Because if we tell everybody, listen, the Holy Spirit has shaped you, and then you come in here and we're going to do the 1960s all over again, we're not being true to the Holy Spirit. What we're saying is, I'm more, I'm more comfortable with this frame of worship, and you need to adapt yourself to it. That is the opposite of what Jesus would do. The exact opposite. It's the opposite of what Paul did. I became all things. I became all things. To the Jew, I became a Jew. To one under the law, as one under the law. So that I can save some. So, having said that, we don't have to turn this place into Disneyland. Amen? But that also means you have to be out in the, in the highways and the hedges, building relationships, creating belonging, committed to bringing people to a church that looks like them. And the way that we look, the way we behave, and the songs we choose to sing. This whole idea, you can just be missional and not be attractional at all. Or this idea, you can just be attractional and not be missional at all. It's hocus pocus. That's just people trying to sell books. You have to care about both. They have to come here and experience the giftedness of the Holy Spirit. And they also have to experience you first. You have to build relationships with them first. It's true. So we're going to ask you to build relationship. Find your plus one. Number two, we're going to ask you to create belonging by becoming part of a small group. We're going to ask you to bring yourself and your, your plus one to church. And we're going to ask you, fourthly, this is, this is so important to become. This means that you're going to intentionally be about the process of discipleship. You're going to continue to follow, trying to be like Jesus. 
right? And you're going to try to help your plus one do the same thing. So, Matt, how do I do that? That's the part that I'm confused about. Well, uh, that's what we've been about this whole year, right? Discovering a way to make discipleship. You now have in your possession and will and in your possession four books that will help you step through intentionally the process of discipleship. That's what I've been preaching on. The, the first book was Living in God's Love, an Invitation to Christian Spirituality. It's all about introducing the story of God to people who don't always understand it. The second one was Shape. How do I fit into the story of God? The third one was Hurts, Habits, and Hang-Ups. How do I deal with the brokenness? And the fourth one that we'll cover at the end of the year is how do I share this story with others? That is mobile. That, those are four books you can use in your small group. We're going to rotate, a, probably rotate a class that goes through that here. But that's what it means to be a disciple. Know God's story. Know how you fit. Deal with the junk in your life when it doesn't. And how can you share the story with other people? We are equipped and equipping for this process to take place. And then finally, we are going to bless. If at the end of our efforts, we create consumers and not Christians, we have failed. If at the end of this process, the question on people's mind is, are they going to do what I like in church today? We have failed. If, on the other hand, the question is, how do I participate in church today? How do I bless? Not what can I get from it, but how can I contribute to it? Then we'll be effective in creating disciples and not consumers. What's, what's the question you come into worship with? How do I worship God? Or what can I take from this? How do I give back? How do I share? How do I love? This part of this bless is that we're going to ask your small group to adopt a service site. That you're not just doing one-offs. You're not going to just paint a garage and then leave, right? You're going to hopefully find some places in Hamhurst or the town that you're closer to and actually go there repeatedly. Until when you walk in, they say, Norm! <laughs> right? They walk in, they know you because you go there all the time. You may already have those places. You may already have a team that you're a part of. You may already be a part of a gym that you're doing that. You may already go to this Arabica coffee all the time. Find a spot for your small group to serve on a consistent basis. And people will begin to, you'll be able to find your plus ones. Because they're everywhere around you. They just, you just have to s spend significant time. That's it. And I know, I know, I know, I know, I know time is fleeting and it's hard. So one thing they're not creating any more of. Believe me, I know time is pressing. I'm a, I'm a real-time taxi cab driver, preacher, educator, student. I know time is tough. For me, I've committed to Arabica Coffee to be a barista on Tuesdays and Thursdays for two hours. I'm giving them four hours. I don't have four hours, but I'm going to give it to them. Why? Because I want them to see Matt, not just as the guy that comes and drinks their coffee, but the guy that comes along and works alongside them and loves the city. I'm also hoping to get our uh, Canvas program through that, just so you know. Uh, 
making a wheel and deal there a little bit. But that's what it looks like. It's going to take a commitment from you. This won't work without you. This whole idea that you can program a church to growth is hogwash. You are the program. You. You have to. We're asking you guys to commit to building a relationship, to belonging to a small group, to bringing yourself and others, to becoming and to blessing. We're going to measure that. Uh, we're going to ask. We're going to create language here, asking you, "Hey, have you found your plus one?" We're going to. We're going to measure our small groups. Who's showing up? Are they? Do they exist? We're going to measure who comes in. Are they coming? And they're coming back, or are they not coming back? That will tell us whether or not we're accommodating anybody besides ourselves. <clears throat> when it comes to becoming, we're going to ask ourselves a question. Are people becoming members? Are, are people being baptized? And then we're going to ask for your stories. One of the most powerful things that can happen is when you guys, for instance, adopt a laundromat. And you start serving people there. All of a sudden, the transformational stories that take place, we get to bring that back into our holy huddle called church on Sunday and say, Bill or Sally couldn't afford to pay for their laundry, but we helped them. And now they're a little bit better off. It's powerful. It is powerful. It's the way the Holy Spirit continues to work. And there will be a sense of awe like there was in Acts. Three programs that we have to start to make this happen. I know I'm running out of time. So, uh, first is small groups. January 1, by the end of January, the month of January, we should have our small groups up and running. There'll be training for this. And guess what? This is We're going to keep this super simple. Small groups can be like shot in the throat before it ever leaves the ground. Because a lot of times leadership will say, you are the people that need to get over here. Over here. You are the guys who get together over there. I've actually had leadership say, we can't have small groups without an elder in each one. Our leadership is empowering. They trust you to do a Bible study. They think you're smart. They love you guys. They know you are talented. So small groups aren't going to be this um, super micromanaged thing. It's going to be free-flowing, and it's going to be for the, con for the goal of bringing your plus one and service projects and doing life together. Because people have to belong before they become. That's why. That's why. Celebrate recovery. By the way, the counts, the small groups, that meets the need of our local predicament. Why? Because people are desperate for community. That's why there are so many bars. Maybe the way we combat drug and alcohol abuse is by creating small groups meeting the needs of community. What about celebrate recovery, right? We are a lot of people struggling with drugs and alcohol in our community, in this community. So we're going we're gonna to launch in June, uh, we're going to launch the Celebrate Recovery, which means we're going to get a team together and do a lot of hard work to get to where we need to be starting in June. And the third thing we're going to do is develop, a, uh, develop an after-school program, a very simple one that corresponds to the things and the, the, the way we already exist. I think Jesus is going to kick me in the pants if I get to heaven and he said, why didn't you do anything for the schools? You were on their property. Seriously, that's, this, is, this is not just an awesome, this is also a liability. Jesus is going to want to know, why were you just the parking lot? Why just the parking lot? When we can help young people get to know Jesus. 
and change the trajectory of their life. Every, every year, about 4,000 new drug addicts are created in high school. That's where they're getting exposed to this. Long before their brain can even understand it. They're getting exposed to this. Because mom and dad, because they don't know how to cope with life. And guess what? You do, Christy. His name is what? DJ. <laughs> yeah. You do know how to cope with life. So what does this look like? Four things, five things, and this, this one I'm, I'm done, I promise. <laughs> sort of. Um, this is... Uh, what we just did is the uh, vision, vision, uh, vision frame. We're a small, we're a church family living in a small town. We're going to uh, build, belong, bring, become, and bless. Those are our five Bs, and this is what it looks like for it to roll out. It begins with an empowering leadership. Guess what? You have an empowering leadership. Amen. Yeah. You really do. These guys trust you. They don't think of you as dumb sheep. They think of you as empowered priesthood of all believers. They're an empowering leadership. Number two, intentional language. We need to start talking about our plus ones. We need to start talking about, Weston needs to come up and say, Mr. Matt, I know all five Bs, right? Um, that's the kind of language that, that gets created because guess what? They're going to be asked, what does your church do? Well, guess what? We build. We belong. <laughs> That was just an inductive way of asking you to. Um, we bring, we become, and we bless. Those five Bs, I, I, I guarantee you, this is, if there's anything close to a secret sauce in this thing, that's it. Because most churches don't get that strategic. Compelling environments. This is really a neat opportunity. We're going to be creating a team to think along with our leadership about what people experience when they come to church here. I've had four people tell me in the research, four people tell me we look like a counseling center. Because counseling goes up on our board. There's nothing that says church. A little writing, but, but nothing big that says church. They think of us as a counseling center for the high school. Like Norid, I think it's, isn't it Norid? Nord Center, right? Though, what's it? Nord. Nord, the Nord Center, right? Th those type of things exist. I think people kind of think that's who we are. So guess what? We get to tell them we're a church. We do it symbolically. We put up a cross in the front. We might even make it out of sandstone. I don't know. We do something to tell them, Jesus can be found here. When they come in the doors, I, I want them to come in and say, hey, we just stepped back into the 80s. No, I, I want them to say when we walk in the door, I want them to say, I see us here. I see Amherst here. What does that look like? Here's an, here's an assignment for you. Go down Main Street. Go in and out of the shops. Just look in the environment. And ask yourself, when you come to church, does it feel that way? 80, up to, no, up to 70% of communication is unspoken. If they come in and they don't see themselves here, they're, gonna, they're not going to want to stay. 
It, it basically says, I didn't really care enough. Like when people know who Melissa is and know that she has like uh, dietary uh, issues and uh, it's just, and this is not a knock against anyone who may not have known this, but I'm just trying to illustrate a point. Like people like, like the Clemens know that Melissa has uh, celiac disease. So when they did my uh, come over and meet the whole team that did the preaching thing, guess what they did at their house? They did everything gluten-free. Guess what that communicated to Melissa? Love. Those things matter. When our community comes in here, what about our physical environment communicates love? They have to be able to see identification and see themselves here. Now, great thing about it is you guys have already done a ton of work on this. Most churches of Christ feel like a funeral home, straight up. You walk in, straight lace, funeral home. This does not feel like, it feels like family. But we do need to take a couple steps to make it feel loving. So we're asking people to come together to be a part of that process. You don't want me on that process because I'm not good at interior design. Everything will be brown. It's just how it is, right? But you need to be a part of this process. We're asking people to get their hands on, right? Get their hands on. Take some time. Be involved. You get to be a part of the process. Repeatable processes. We have to make sure that things are simple and repeatable. And then finally, we have to create a conscious culture. Basically, everyone needs to know what we're about. And what are we about? We're a church family doing what? Simple. Who we are. A church family. What are we doing? Loving a small town. How are we doing it? We're building relationships. Belonging to small groups. Bringing people to worship. Becoming disciples. And blessing simple but we have to move from just loving our church to loving a small town let's pray Father God I offer all of this to you I confess and I want to say I see you in this but I'm offering all of it to you and I'm asking you to make successful what blesses you And to defeat anything that doesn't. Because this belongs to you. Everyone in here loves this church. They show it. We see it. And we want to love our town. God, help us. Help us. Father, we're not trying to build a massive church. We're just trying to be faithful. Being faithful means not my will, but thine be done. You are our Father in heaven. Your name is holy. Your kingdom be done. Your kingdom will be done in Amherst as it is in heaven.
Father, give us everything we need. Deliver us. Deliver us from those things that would keep us off of mission. And lead us into your preferred future so that you get all the glory. And we get to take our friends and our loved ones home to glory with us. Make it so. Pray this in Jesus' name. Be standing.
Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, be glory and majesty and power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Be blessed, church.